This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being, being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. Valeria interviews Mariette Jansen. She is a life coach, psychotherapist, meditation teacher, blogger, and speaker. She obtained a PhD in communication science in the Netherlands and worked in corporate organizations. Mariette retrained after the birth of her eldest son when she qualified as a psychotherapist, a counseling tutor, and a meditation teacher. After 10 years, she decided to focus her client work more on action and goals and has worked since 2011 as a successful life coach. Mariette always knew that something was wrong, but couldn't find what it was. Her parents kept on telling her that she was the one who was wrong. But Mariette knew it couldn't be just her. Growing up in a dysfunctional family took its toll, One of Mariette's reactions to her situation was to develop an eating disorder, bulimia nervosa, which lasted 22 years. Although Mariette now realizes that she grew up in a narcissistic family, she only started to understand the full extent of her situation in her late 50s. Her mother, her main narcissist, was the most important person in her life and most of her actions were inspired by the wish to please her and be on the receiving end of love, acceptance, and respect. It never happened. As a result of her own realization, Mariette discovered narcissism and how it plays out. It was an eye-opener and a sanity saver. All of a sudden, clarity hit and life made sense. It got easier to understand how to deal with it all and apply the behaviors that would support her ongoing happiness and well-being. To learn more about Mariette and her work, please visit drdestress.co.uk. Here is the interview with Mariette Jansen. In your own words, who is Dr. Marriott Johnson? <laughs> I always have to summarize myself as well. I'm Dutch and I was always late in life. I think that sums me up. Like I had teenage behavior when I was 35 in the way that, you know, uh, having a bit of a wild love life. Um, so not when I was 18. I got my PhD uh, at university about three years later than everybody else. 
I started my career when I was 27 as well. So that was also not that early. And I met the love of my life when I was 37. I had my first baby when I was 40, my second when I was 44. And then I discovered the work I really, really love and the passion for what I do when I was about 52. So I would say I was always late in life. Before we talk about some of the topics in your book, From Victim to Victor, Narcissism Survival Guide, I have a few warm-up questions, as I mentioned, off-record. The first one is, what is life to you, Marianne? Real life is a free-flowing energy that allows me to flow freely with it. And what it means, it means that I am connected to who I am. It means that I can be authentic regardless of what happens around me. I love that. What do you think is the opposite of life? It's fear. It's being informed by fear, which prevents people to do what they want, to think what they want, to feel what they really feel. So there's a, it's a flat line. They're breathing and they might go to work and they might have a family, but the emotional connection to themselves isn't there. So you might as well be dead. It's, it's a way of being dead, but I didn't want to say that. Right. That makes a lot of sense to me. Very much. And my other question about life is, what do you think is the purpose of the human experience? I think we're here to grow. You said earlier, everything is energy, and I'm totally with that. And I think raising vibrations means we are raising an awareness, we are raising a happiness and a lightness of energy. And I am here to raise my vibration in order to help others to rise theirs. Let me ask you a question that relates to your work already, although we have a section for that. What is to be a victor to you? What's the meaning of that? I think that someone who is authentic, who doesn't have to hold back out of fear, out of circumstances, you're a victor in your life if you can be the real you. I have two questions that relate to being a female in a human body. What do you love the most about being a woman? The biggest present life has given me is the experience of reproduction, of growing a baby in my tummy and then letting that go and have that special connection. I think that's very, for a woman, different than for a man, I guess. I can't judge that, but carrying someone for all those months inside I felt connected to my babies very much before they were in this world. So I think that's a real gift of being a woman. And I think as a woman, we are allowed to be more diverse by society. I mean, we are soft and we are emotional and we are, you know, that sort of things. We can also be strong and standing our ground. And I, th- I think that's an allowance that makes life in potential richer. I would not want to be a man. My other question about being a woman is, what is the most challenging aspect about being a woman? Sometimes not being seen as a 
person being seen more and treated more as what people associate with a woman or being weaker or being, you know, not counting in the same way. Yeah. What is the meaning of freedom to you, Marianne? Just being who I am, just going for and being being at peace with who I am, being no stronger, being happy with who I am and just be that with all my faults and non-faults. I, do, I Actually, I think I don't have faults and I don't mean that, that I do everything right, but I'm not here to do everything right. I'm here to do things in my way. And if that doesn't pan out positively, then I need to make some changes and that's fine. So there's, I think it's living without judgment and just just be and again coming back to no no fear for just being authentic i love your wisdom absolutely love your wisdom and then speaking of fear do you believe that fear is the opposite of love yeah 100% yeah i they can't they can't exist together how would you describe or what is love to you love is an energy that gives, that doesn't ask. So I love my children and I can give that energy to them and I don't need anything back. It's nice if you get something back, but I don't love them because of that. I love my husband because he is who he is and I don't ask anything back as, you know, as a condition. And he loves me. So that's, that's nice. It's nicer to love people who then love you back that makes it easier but I think love is that love is a giving glowing energy and I think it's an energy as well that should inspire others to be a better person or a lighter person you know where Scott Peck from the road less traveled I love that when he talks about romantic love or a relationship between people where he says Love, the, the, what needs to come from love is a spiritual growth for both of the partners. That's interesting. This is the second or the third time that this book has been mentioned. Yeah. I'll make a note of that. I need to read it. <laughs> so you spoke of unconditional love. That's what it sounds to me. Mm-hmm. So do you think it's possible to have the same kind of love for ourselves, unconditional self-love? Yeah, absolutely. It's something you need to work on because <laughs> right. it's like with all these good things, they don't fall out of the sky. You know, there are lots of angels around that will help us. There are lots of other entities or energies that will be there to help us. But it is still, it requires work. <laughs> True. And what it is, is I talk a lot about noise on the line and society, other people, limiting beliefs, all sort of negativity is actually noise on the line that gets between you and your real self-love, self-acceptance, self-joy. Bringing the subject of your work into this section. So how do you distinguish self-love or unconditional self-love from self-centered behaviors and selfishness? When you're selfish and when you're in a negative way, self-centered, 
it makes it negative because usually other people pay a price for that. Where self-love in itself is looking after yourself, loving yourself, being good for yourself. It might mean sometimes that you have to say no to someone because it's not good for you. But saying no to someone because otherwise it's not good for you is in it. How do I say it? It's in itself. And the other party, if the other party comes from a positive place, they will understand. If they don't come from a positive place, they want to abuse you, then you're quite right to say no anyway. Do I explain it clearly or not? Yeah, you made it very clear because I ask this question often and sometimes I get the answer that unconditional self-love might become a narcissistic kind of lifestyle. So that's when I tell them that unconditional self-love has the word love in it. <laughs> so for a reason. So it has a lot to do with love and kindness and gentleness. So like you said, even when we say no, we can say no with love, with kindness. And keep doing that if that's not helping ourselves and others. So I love your clarification because we need to understand this better. The next question here is about the current situation. At this time, what do you think is the world's greatest need? And do you have a vision for a new reality? It's connected to love, I think, what I'm going to say. But I think people need trust and people need to almost surrender. The whole COVID is just something that is un seems at the moment uncontrollable. It's We can't understand it. We, we think as humans that we are so advanced with our science that we can even uh, control the weather. I think that was China who did it. Who did it. This wasn't it for, for a big championship or the Olympics or, you know, just affect the weather because that's better for us we decide it's better for us i think if we were more, if we were more trusting trusting in our own ability to be trusting in other people so we didn't have to fight for everything because when you fight when you have the energy of fighting you have a winner and a loser and no one likes to be a loser so with that winning and losing aggression is coming and then self-centeredness comes up because it's actually if you don't want to lose maybe you have to put more uh, aggression in and more attack more and make sure that you are all right and you don't care about the others being all right it's that sense of trust and a faith in the bigger picture i know it's all it's really uh, challenging this time And I hope we get through it and come to a higher level, a higher level of understanding and a higher level of loving and trusting. But I'm not sure if that is going to happen based on what is recently what people are showing. I love the way you use the word trust and then you use the word faith and then hope. So they are all connected, right, Marriott? These words? They are, yeah. What is your understanding and idea of inner peace? It's knowing yourself. It's knowing where you're coming from in your choices. It's feeling that you're doing the right thing, even though it might turn out 
differently than you anticipated. But still, if you come from a place of positive intention, then actually you can't go wrong. You can't be, you can't blame yourself for having done something wrong because your starting point was all good. And I think that, so in if you come, if you say that's where I'm coming from, then you've got nothing to worry about. Because whatever people say to you, oh, you said this and you said that, it's very easy then to say, yeah, I said that. And I was convinced that this was the right thing. It turns out not to be the right thing. So that's a shame. And I've learned from that. And maybe next time I have to make changes. So there is not a sense of I have to defend myself. I have to be aggressive. I have to be right. I just have to be real. And that is peace. I love your answer for that, yeah. Yeah, we just have to be open, right? What, where, and who is God to you? I talk about the universe. And the universe for me is everywhere, always. So it's a little butterfly. It's the air I breathe. It's my little doggy. Mm -hmm. It's anything that brings me joy. It's sort of, yeah, and I throw out a lot of communication in the day when I say, oh, this is beautiful, or this reminds me of angels, or I'm so grateful for this, or things like that. So there's a, I, I throw my gratitude out, and I just throw it out and to the universe. And the universe for me is the higher power, the energy that has the bigger picture, the, the energy that I trust. Whatever happens, I there will be there will be a meaning to it. And I know as a human being, I try to find meaning in things. You know, things happen and people then say, oh, things happen for a reason. Uh, and yeah, and I think you can make, you can have a, you can get your lessons out of all the events and then grow. But in growing, you become closer to that energy of the universe. The way you speak, it kind of comes to mind this way of living that's heart-centered, seeing, being grateful for our lives and everything around us, loving unconditionally. That is most like we are not coming from the mental activities, that the mind now is a servant to the heart. That's what it sounds like. Yeah, how wonderful. So this is the second section. And my first question had to be this one. How did you become a writer? I've got a creative mind. I only discovered that later in life. But my creativity is sort of so the way I can really enter my emotions is through writing. So I have always journaled. I have always done things like writing. But when I started as a coach, I started a, a website and I started to write blogs. And I like that. When I read my blogs now from then, I sort of almost cringe and think, oh, my goodness, because you evolve over time. Uh, but I have been writing several blogs and weekly emails. And I wrote a book on meditation, which is cringingly not good either, very judgmental here, I know. <laughs> but, you know, it's and it's through all that exercising 
you know, exercising my writing and improving my writing through practice. I reached a point um, last year when I just felt ready to write about what I needed to write about. And that is my book. That's the book that I'm uh, uh, that we are talking about, I guess, the From Victim to Victor. And it's, it's interesting talking to you and bringing all this inspiration from, you know, being from the inside, being authentic, being real, talking my truth. That is what I was ready to do in last year's August. So that's what I did. Wow. And because I've done all that writing and blogging before, it was easy to do that. Yeah. yeah. How wonderful. And now we'll, we'll explore the topic. But before that, before I ask you specific questions about narcissism, let me ask you this question first. Why did you choose to become a psychotherapist? I loved learning more about our psyche, how we make decisions, how we make wrong decisions. I was intrigued to be fair, really, I think it had to do with my own personal development and discovering more about myself. You said earlier, what is typical you or what is it about you? But I think one of the things that I have held back for until I was, I guess, 35, 36, 37, was thinking because in my upbringing, this, my narcissistic mother, thinking there was no point because whatever I and wanted to discuss that was being swiped you know off the table and it was wrong and so I was I wasn't stimulated to think but actually that's what I'm really here for I'm a thinker I love thinking and starting my education uh, in psychotherapy started to open up that thinking process about stuff I was really interested in Love it. Discover this. Hear this. Like, oh, man, it was like I loved every minute of it. Yeah. And still do. (laughs) (laughs) I can imagine. And for a moment also, Mariette, talk to me about meditation. The moment of surrendering, I think. For me, meditation is a way to be in that (laughs) moment of being. I can't be judgmental. I need to be open-minded. I never know what's going to happen. I don't have to do anything. I can feel my body just melting as, you know, as a as a candle, as if I'm sort of lit by a candle. I'm, sort of, I'm just... Every meditation, uh, every longer meditation is an adventure in itself. I love that. A spiritual adventure. Well, everything's spiritual, so yeah. My other question, let me see how I'm going to ask you this one that relates to your book uh, directly. What was the intention of writing your book from victim to victor? There's a bit of a background there. So I have been playing, toying with the idea of writing. It's storying and it's in the back burner of my mind and it's simmering. And then I'm from a family, originally from a family of five My sister died, my brother died. So then my father was there, my mother and me. And last year in July, my father died. And I felt that a sense of freedom. I didn't have to look after him or I didn't have to 
pre protect him or, you know, there was nothing left from our family but my mother and me. And with my mother, I had done, I wasn't in touch with her anymore. I didn't want to have anything to do with her. I was done. And my father was gone as well. So, you know, that was that. And that gave me the freedom to sort of start with that book. And first of all, I thought maybe it's for me to, to you know, my own process and helping me. I think maybe some of it did. It, but what it did, it made things much clearer. So it was good for me. But my other things were I, I wanted other people to understand what was happening to them. And the other reason was people who had no idea what narcissism was. I wanted them to understand if they wanted to understand. I wanted to give them a tool to understand. And it all came to life and in August. So I started writing in August, but I also started to talk to people. I do a lot of, lot of networking. And I was just asking, inviting people to share their stories with me around narcissism. And I've, I've, I started my little presentations. You know, you do in the, here in the UK, you often do a one minute presentation. And I started with, my mother is a nasty piece of work. And you can imagine that, that oh, people were sort of ears were going up, eyes mm -hmm. opening, saying, what is she going on about? And then I explained very briefly something about narcissism and said, I'm writing a book. I would love to get in touch with people who have maybe a similar experience or think they have an experience with a narcissist or know they have an experience with a narcissist. And in the meetings itself, no one said, oh, yeah, no, it's me. It, it's me and it's my mother as well. But after the meetings, I was always got loads of emails and phone calls of people who said, yeah, I know that I have been under the influence of a narcissist. And please, can I talk to you? So I started to collect all sorts of examples, but I had also beautiful conversations with people who at last there were people around who understood what I was talking about and I understood what they were going through. And that was that is such a gift because my journey has been very lonely. No one understood what I was talking about. When I spoke about my mother, people would say, oh, I'm sure she loves you. Every mother loves her child. Well, no, not every mother loves her, loves her child. Or um, why don't you reach out to her? She's getting older now. So is it not up to you? I reached that point where I just knew there was nothing there to be gained or to be created. It was, it was only toxic what happened there. And I removed myself from that. And this is such an interesting topic because I usually don't like using labels for human beings, myself or others, because that creates this, this stagnation, I guess, this kind of death in the mind. The mind now created this idea that this is it. So in a way, I found that to be unfair from my perspective of seeing life as being this amazing experience of mystery <laughs> so it's like I don't know you know I don't know this is what the mind's telling me but I who knows what is behind all this so I embrace the mystery and I guess when I contacted you and then we were in touch and the subject was narcissism and I have had the experience I think my mother she fits 
those characteristics, those traits, but because I have been perhaps trying to be around her. And what I do is I focus on um, something about her that I don't know, the mystery. And that brings joy, and that's kind of, this is amazing. And now I'm not in the, at the mind level anymore. I'm not holding on to memories and the ideas of what I think people are. Have you considered the, um, the possibility of talking and seeing your mother in such a way as a mystery? <sighs> no, in all honesty, no, I haven't. But thinking about it, I have 40 years, I have been almost constantly trying to find a way of connecting with her. Her emotional awareness is below zero. It just, things like that just did not happen. Maybe it was because I wasn't able to do that. In our relationship, in every time we were in contact, I came away with a toxic reaction. And I could, I, I recognized that that was not good for me. It was not good for my family, my close family. And those are more important for me than my mother is. And... It's, it seemed to be the right thing to just cut her out. And I say just cut her out. That took 40 years. So this was not an overnight decision. And I know what in my whole process uh, happened is I had to give up hope that something was going to happen between us. And then I realized that there was nothing. It, it was just an empty void, just an emptiness, really. I haven't gone the path that you choose. And for some reason, uh, we make these choices is another mystery, isn't it? <laughs> Amazing mystery about life. Yeah, I chose this path for some reason, and maybe it works for me. It's whatever works for us, emotionally, spiritually. And let's talk about the condition. So I have a question, perhaps before even asking you what narcissism is, I wanted to ask this one. What is the difference between narcissistic behaviors and narcissistic personality disorder, which is a mental illness? Yeah, they're not quite sure how to call it. Is it is it a is it a condition? Is it a disorder? Is it a mental illness? I think a narcissist, a real narcissist, has no problem with being a narcissist. The people around them might have a problem. But they don't. They are just the way they are. They think they're perfect. They are entitled. Everybody needs to do things for them. And they're very skillful in making that all happen. And when people have narcissistic traits, we all have them. We all show them from time to time. You know, and someone can be arrogant or someone else can be a bully or sometimes a bully. That doesn't make them a narcissist. A narcissist is continuously campaigning and their campaigning is all for their benefit, regardless how much pain and discomfort they, they cause in other people. And they can't even see it. They can't help it because they lack that awareness. And there is, there is not a lot of real research on narcissists for the reason that the narcissist doesn't have a problem. If you take a narcissist to uh, to a therapist, then he's, he or she is going to sit down and sort of criticize the therapist and tell the therapist, 
what they are doing wrong because they are always right. So they're not open to an adventure of discoveries. They just have to hold on to what they have. That is their security blanket. And they need that because underneath it all is that fragile ego that they need to hide. From that point of view, they are very different from people who have other conditions. You know, when people are depressed, they would like to do anything and everything to get over that depression. A narcissist doesn't want to get over their narcissism. They don't care. And it's quite interesting. Is I sometimes say, how do you want? How do you find out if someone is a real narcissist? You go up to that person and you say, "I think you are a narcissist." <laughs> oh boy! If someone, <laughs> if someone is then really upset and looks at Louis, where does that come from? And what do you think I'm doing? And what are you thinking of me? That person might possibly never want to see you again. If that person, if, if it's another person, you say, "I think you are a narcissist," and they look around. And they shrug their shoulders and they say, well, who cares? Then it's probably you who should run away from that person and never want to see them. So in any way, when you ask that question, you will lose possibly the person you want to ask the question from. So there's a a big difference between the disorder. And there are some cases, and this was research in Germany, where they did brain scans. And in people with really very clear narcissistic campaigning no empathy and really sort of that really cold and total you know blueprint of a narcissist they lacked certain um, physical elements of the brain they lacked that area that honed the empathy and the regulation of emotions so it's just not there in some of them Yeah, so that constitutes the issue (laughs) clinically. That makes sense. Yeah, not having this, the biological access tool for empathy. And that explains as well that narcissists don't change. Maybe, I guess you, you had a similar thing. I always was hoping my mother was going to change. I always was trying to find that little way in that would make us a little bit closer. And only when I gave up the hope for that, yeah, no, this is not going to happen. I was able to really detach. Yeah, that makes sense. Makes a lot of sense, Mariette. So in this case, when we have uh, lost hope, it's because, yeah, that's the disorder, something that cannot be accessed or changed anyway. (laughs) Um, If this is a mental condition at this level, because... We know psychopathy is another one that's connected to narcissistic personality disorder. They are sort of similar, right? They have the same characteristics in a way or share characteristics. The the difference is that a narcissist is usually more subtle. So it's way more difficult to put your finger on what isn't quite right. You know, when the psychopath is doing something aggressive or, or cut someone's finger off or you know, they do they do interesting things. That's really clear. That's really clear that you can't say if you cut my finger off, there is no possible explanation that makes it acceptable. But if you're continuously say to someone, Oh, you're so stupid. Oh my god, you're so stupid. Oh, I can't believe it. You know, continuously undermining someone's confidence in a way that that the victim 
is going to think that they are mad, that they are going mad. You can't put your finger on it that clearly because then then you would say, you're saying I'm going mad, I'm not going mad. And it's like, what are you talking about? That was just a joke. Why Why do you take everything so seriously? You're oversensitive, you're hysterical. And you think, oh, gosh, really? So whatever happens there, it's subtle. You can't really make an easy case with that. That makes a lot of sense, yeah, what you just said, too, about the subtleties of the narcissistic disorder. And what comes to mind is what I'm wondering here. It sounds to me like there's no lack of self-awareness, almost like 100%, no interest of knowing who that person is at all and no self-love so from what you're saying i see a lot of that happening so not sense of who they are not knowing who they are or they're not even interested to know going deeper and that brings me to a point something that i read in your book that called my attention you said uh usually a narcissist does not suffer yeah, And that makes me think about suffering when I think about somebody who doesn't have self-love, it doesn't understand who they are deeply. Doesn't it cause a lot of turmoil in the mind? They don't feel those type of emotions. It's just not there. It's like, and I, in my experience, I have had these endless conversations where I really hit my head against the wall and thought, for God's sake, don't you get it? You know, in these words, those words, me being absolutely desperate. And my mother just shrugging her shoulders like, what are you getting on about? I don't know. No emotions. And and one thing that's not an example in the book, but that happened is my parents had a dog for, for nearly 15 years. On Friday morning, the dog dies. After 15 years, it's like a family member. And three hours later, a new puppy arrives. And that for me, that is such a clear picture now that I think there is no sense of loss. There is no sadness. There is no bereavement process. You just get on with it. You want a dog? Well, dog is dead. What do you do? You get a new dog. Made me think about a behavior from my mother, too, that she used to kill the uh, chickens that we had in our backyard. That might sound like normal, you know, for people to do who live in small towns and all, because they kill the animals to eat. But then I used to pay attention to her behavior, like emotionally, and she had no connection with that animal. I would cry, like I couldn't even look at it. And she would have no emotions at all. She would Mm. just kill the thing with no remorse, nothing. And that caught my attention as a child. Yeah. So that makes sense. They have no access to empathy. I have one memory of my mother touching me lovingly. And, well, what I thought was lovingly. And that was when I was I came out of the hospital and I was ill and I was laying in bed. And she put her hands on my forehead. I was about eight years old, I think. And that was it. And for the rest, there was no physical affection being shown, no tactile things. I had to give her a kiss and I left and then I came home. And that was sort of, you know, I had to do that as a, as a sign of love. And that's what you do. But there was no, from her side, there was no emotion at all. Never was. Yeah. 
but why does it happen? Why would a human being exist here without this connection to themselves and others? You see, I can look at my mother now and I'm grateful for having had my mother. I don't, she might still be alive, I don't know, but I am grateful for my mother because she has enabled me to grow into the person I am. It was a painful journey. It's not, you know, it wasn't a holiday. But if I hadn't had her, I would have less empathy. I would, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't have the profession I have now. I wouldn't have written the book. I wouldn't be able to help all these other people. Just through offering my story uh, in my book, I am happy with myself now. And she has played a big role in that whole process. So that sounds very spiritual to me. <laughs> what do we do having somebody like that? Now we recognize that we have somebody close to us that is displaying these narcissistic behaviors, but not just the traits of looking for power and, you know, successful people. Most of them, they have those characteristics, but the disorder, because that seems like something beyond that. So when we recognize somebody has a disorder and we live with them, they're around us, what do we do? Ideally, you run away as fast <laughs> and far as you can. But I'm very aware that as for a lot of people, that is not an option. I think it is really important to be aware of your narcissist. And that's where my, my checklist comes in. I've got a checklist with 50 points in the book. Per checklist, per, per point, you can really get a clear picture of how you are affected by this person. Feelings, thoughts, behavior, how your happiness is affected. And if you have that awareness, you can find a response that works for you. It is a way of keeping yourself safe and sane. There is it, There are techniques of disengage with this person or to protect yourself from an emotional engagement with that person. And that is a way where you can survive. But it is hard work and it means you have to be on the alert all the time. And, and I say that in the book as well, it's like they don't change. This, so don't even try to change them. Change your behavior, create that emotional distance in yourself. Don't give any person information that they can use against you. Don't be open. Don't be trusting. It sounds horrible, doesn't it? But yeah. it's like in order to survive that and not let, let their toxicity come into you, you need to take that action. You need to be very careful. And it's so interesting because clients of mine are sitting here and if they have a narcissist in their life and it's, 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 that's one of their issues, half of the session or the whole session, they would happily talk about that other person. And they are sitting there for themselves. And I don't allow them to do that. But it's interesting. They, they start and I say, listen, you've been sitting here seven minutes now. And the only person you've been talking about is your narcissist. Why did this happen? How did they think? What was this? What's it? And what a narcissist is doing, they're like an octopus and they 
they they attack your system and they creep under your skin and then they creep into your mind and they take possession of your mental processes. And if you notice yourself continuously thinking about why is this person doing this? What is that? What, what would be going on there? What if this? If you notice that, stop doing that. Because people can can have their own thoughts. It's not for you to anticipate and think about what others might think because they will have they can have thousands of thoughts. You only are in control of your own thoughts. So that is a sign. If a narcissist is taking you over, that is what's happening. That's what's happening. So stop that as well. You're not there to continuously think about other people. You've got yourself. That's a job in itself. You know, that's your big, <laughs> big job. job. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So true. That's very well said. Is there such a thing as healthy narcissism? I mean, what is healthy? What is unhealthy? If there, if someone is absolutely driven, an athlete, an Olympic athlete, a high-flying entrepreneur, um, artists who are completely obsessed with their art, they might have very strong narcissistic tendencies. They might be real narcissists. They might lack total empathy. But if they don't act on it, if they are so focused on what they want to achieve and on the way don't destroy people, then is it healthy? Well, some great achievers are, you know, the big achievements sometimes can only happen because people channel all their energies on that. There's a lot of wisdom there. I agree 100%. Yeah, focusing the energy so much in certain things, it's great, especially if you're not hurting anyone. And the opposite's true, you're helping people. So that's a wonderful thing. I agree with you that too much of anything, it's not a good thing. It cannot be healthy. And possibly ultimately, you know, someone who is so focused and so into whatever they want to achieve, there will be moments in their life that they will hurt people unintentionally. But, you know, maybe maybe in a relationship where the other person is totally adoring and lovingly and giving that other giving the narcissist the space. And then in the end, ends up with maybe nothing because the narcissist moves on and thinks you're no use for me anymore and now I go. And it's not even intentionally from the narcissist, but that's how they operate. But then they will hurt someone. Yeah. It's a great, actually, awareness to have, this idea of focusing too much, <laughs> obsessing with certain things, even when they look really good. Um, it makes me reflect about the work I do today because I absolutely love it. Oh, but it takes a lot of time and energy. And I try to balance the whole thing. It's balancing. And a lot of times, you're right, I fall short in some areas. Um, it's really a challenge to have a balance, create a balance is a challenge. Yeah. How about this? There are four questions to ask. Yeah. Always, if you have a choice to make, it's like, what does it give me? What does it take from me? Who benefits and who pays the price? So if you put that together, first of all, you look at yourself and sort of, you know, what do you give, what do you take? But then also you consider 
the people or the situation around you. So that will almost create a balance and an easier way of making choices. So give, take, benefit, and who pays the price? Yeah, it sounds really simple. I'll try the homework. <laughs> let me know. Let me know how you get on with that. Yeah. Yes, yeah. and I will. Definitely. Your book, it's very interesting. I love how generous you are with all the information you give. You try to help others to understand this behavior, people around them, so we can live better lives and healthier, joyful lives. That's a wonderful work. I have a few more questions for you. I call them final questions. Before that, would you like to add anything or read a passage in your book? I think what I, yes, there is one thing I would like to say. I'm from a family of five. My elder brother was mentally disabled and couldn't really speak up for himself. And my sister, my younger sister, was so introvert and moody and hit, I think, and hurt by the whole circumstances. But they both died. My sister was 52, my brother was 16, and they died. And I dedicated my book to my darling brother and sister, who suffered from the same abuse as I did. I found my voice and a way forward. You both had a different journey. It fills me with deep sadness to think of what could have been and never was. You are both in a better place. And I know my words also affect your, also reflect your thoughts and experiences. And that's a very powerful disconnection yeah, that you're making with this work and their lives and their existence here in human bodies. That's wonderful. And I think it can be extended. So it's not, you know, it's directly my brother and sister and we we grew up in that same cocoon. But what I have experienced in the last in the last uh, month, you know, since I started to talk and 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 the writing and the release of the publication of the book, is that there are so many more people, and it's as if I speak their language and if I speak their story and if I can be the voice for us. Yeah, that's beautiful. Thank you so much, Nariette, for the work that you do. It's meaningful, profound, and it takes a lot of courage, I know. What is another word for healing? Arriving, coming home, and arriving home in your own life and in your own self. Mm -hmm. And again, it means the noise on the line, you've cut off the noise of the line, it's silent. There's a clear connection between you and who you really are. Uh, uh, no matter what, right? No matter what situation we are in. There is no problem unless we make it a problem. Mm, yeah. There's no problems unless you make them problems, right? Yeah, and the problem arises because you think it should be different. <laughs> else. Yes, it's not different and it's not something else it just is what it is if you knew you would die soon meaning losing the body would you make any change in your life or do anything differently no i don't do that sort of uh, regret thing and the what if what if thing i mean i was so lucky to fall pregnant when i was 39 
Yeah, it was all should I never wanted children, but then I thought because I met Ian and just you know, the maternal button was pushed and I thought, Oh yeah, I want babies. <laughs> and I just I just got them and then I got number two because Ian said to me, But you'd never wanted children. I said, I know. <laughs> so James arrived and then I said, um, a year later or so, I said to Ian or one and a half year later, I said, I, I want another baby. And he said, but you only wanted one. And I said, I know. <laughs> but number two arrived and it was just this. And then, you know, very, very young, at a very young age, I entered the menopause. So Ian was delighted because he thought, okay, she's got her two children. <laughs> yes, she's done. Nature has, has spoken for me and this is it. Yeah. You know, and then people were saying to me, oh, it's such a shame that you didn't start earlier with children because you like you love them. And I thought, oh, God, no, you know, I couldn't have handled that earlier. And it's just sort of, it, life is what it is. And I'm just, I'm just every moment. Yeah. I mean, it took me a long time to find my freedom and to, to being at home with myself. But that's just what it is. I'm here now. Every day I jump out of bed with a big grin on my face. and. I, Wait to, I can't wait to embrace what is going to present to me. <laughs> what an, an uplifting attitude. I don't really call mindset attitude, really. I think it's just, it's just coming from that deep understanding from your heart that knows and knows the truth that life is this now. There's no need to regret, to rehash. <laughs> it's just celebrating what is here that matters. What are three things about life you know for sure as of now? I'm responsible for my own happiness. I need to work at it. If I don't work at it, it might slip. Because, you know, in our default position in our mind is negativity and fear. That's the caveman state of mind. And it requires work to step out of that continuously. So I'm responsible for that. I need to work for that. And... I think the biggest force, the biggest, most beautiful energy is love. So embrace love, spread love, recognize love, nurture love, find love. It's everywhere. If you want to see it and yeah, if you want to see it, you will find it. Yes, yes. And yes, it has been a wonderful conversation, enlightening to me. I really appreciate your profound wisdom and your fun presence. <laughs> it's a lot of fun to talk to you. And I have one more technical question, the last one. Where can we find more information about you, your books, products, services, and future projects? Okay, my nickname is Dr. Distress, D-R-D-E-S-T-R-E-S-S. So my website is drdestress.co.uk I'm on social media with the same sort of thing or just with Mariette Janssen my book From Victim to Victor The Narcissism Survival Guide is available on Amazon in paperback and Kindle I'm sure if you Google me you will find me on other places but you know it's my website drdestress.co.uk and it's the book From Victim to Victor Narcissism Survival Guide Wonderful. Thank you so much again, Dr. Marriott, and we'll talk soon. Okay. Thank you for having me. Thank you. It was fun. 
It was fun, right? <laughs> Meaningful, spiritual fun. Bye for now. Bye bye. Bye. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Mariette Jansen and her work, please visit drdestress.co.uk. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. I want to thank the Patreon members, Lawrence McGrath, Mark Basden, Terry Clayton, and Aidan Vickrock. Thank you again for listening, and bye for now. Bye.